Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Today we will look at another prototype of our times in the book of Acts. We are amid the perils of the last days, and the times of refreshing are soon to fall on God's people, like in the days of the apostles. But the wicked still rage against the righteous, and they will make laws that restrict them and cancel them. You can see this in the public square. There is a hatred of religion, or at least certain types of religion, and it will only grow and become more focused. So let us review another chapter in the book of Acts, because it has great lessons for us today. As we begin, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that as we study today, your Holy Spirit will minister to our souls. May we be refreshed by the genuine history from Acts chapter 3 and 4. May we learn lessons that will apply to our lives and our times. And may we accept the truth and the hard realities of the last days as a joy to suffer for Christ's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, 1 through 10. This miracle was designed to attract attention to Peter and John, but the intention was to give them an opportunity to share the gospel. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him and with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. There was nothing special about Peter and John except that they were believers in Jesus and were partakers of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. 
They were sinners like everybody else, but they had an experience with Jesus and had surrendered their lives completely to him, and the Holy Spirit was now going to use them powerfully. But the fuller reason this miracle is recorded in the book of Acts is so that we can understand all the way down at the end of time how to have genuine faith and the magnificent way the Holy Spirit will work in our day with those who have been partakers of the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. It is also a warning to beware that the reaction of the church leaders will also be similar as the Holy Spirit again works around them by laymen and some ministers who are called and are sanctified by his powerful grace. Let's read verse 11. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Peter explained to them how they killed Jesus, the Prince of Life, who gave this man his health back. And now they could have faith and believe too. He called on them to repent of their sins. And there were about 5,000 men that believed, plus women and children. But when the interests of the kingdom of heaven are successfully carried on, the powers of darkness are ready to put a stop to it if they can. Let's read chapter 4, 1 through 4. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about five thousand. The priests and Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, and the temple captain who was charged with keeping the peace, arrested them. These groups were the sworn enemies of Christ, and they hated his gospel as much when he pre was preached as a heavenly priest as when he was preached as an earthly prophet. They were je as jealous of their priesthood as Caesar was of his monarchy. You had to have permission to preach or teach. You had to have credentials, as it were. And they could not tolerate anyone who they perceived was a rival to their influence and, or challenged their power and authority. They were not the, of the same spirit and mind as John the Baptist, who said, he must increase, and I must decrease. The captain of the temple was probably a Roman officer, charged with guarding the temple. So in this we have both Jews and Gentiles allied against Christ and his disciples. These priests and Sadducees were grieved and appalled, we are told, with the holy boldness and fearlessness of Peter and John. They were preaching without approval of church leaders. They were upset with them because they were not in control of the messaging that went out from the temple, and it was undermining them. 
and the message was also politically incorrect. But moreover, they were upset that there were so many people willing to hear it, and they thought that after they put Christ to such an ignominious death, his disciples would ever after be ashamed and afraid to identify with him. But they were not. They also expected that the people would have invincible prejudices against him and his doctrines, so that they would be not so easily persuaded. Now it vexed them greatly to see the miracle of healing just like Christ did, and that the gospel was gaining a lot of ground instead of losing it. Was the influence of Christ spreading through his disciples, they asked? Psalms 112.10 says, The wicked shall see it and be grieved. And they were grieved at that which they should have rejoiced in. They were grieved at that which angels rejoice in. And miserable is the case to whom the glory of Christ's kingdom is a grief. That glory is everlasting, and it follows that their grief will be everlasting too. The Sadducees were grieved that the resurrection from the dead was preached, for they opposed that doctrine and could not bear to hear of a future state and to hear it so well attested and with such convincing conviction. The chief priests were grieved that they preached the resurrection of the dead through Jesus. Though they professed to believe the resurrection of the dead, yet they would rather give up that important doctrine and oppose it in the disciples than have it preached and proved to be through Jesus. Jesus was their number one enemy, and his disciples were now multiplied in preaching his doctrine everywhere. They had to crush the movement if they could. So they laid hands on them, that is, their servants and officers did so at their command. And they committed them to the custody of the Roman officer until the next day. They could not examine them immediately because it was evening, and Jewish law forbade them to hold trials at night. Plus, they needed to organize their strategy and questioning for the next day when they would arraign the apostles. God knows how to train up his servants for suffering by degrees. By lesser trials, he prepares them for greater trials. For now, they got used to trial of prison and bonds only. It was a trial, but it was also training. But that training prepared them to endure stronger suffering, even unto blood. God is merciful, and he will do the same thing for us. When they have run with the footmen, they then will be prepared to contend with the horses. Jeremiah 12.5 There was no religious liberty at the time of the apostles in Jerusalem. We take it for granted today, although not for long. We are losing religious liberty right, left, and center. These disciples were about to speak truth to power, and they knew the animosity and hostility that was brewing. Listen to this from Acts of the Apostles, page 61. 
The enemies of the disciples could not but be convinced that Christ had risen from the dead. The evidence was too clear to be doubted. Nevertheless, they hardened their hearts, refusing to repent of the terrible deed they had committed in putting Jesus to death. Abundant evidence that the apostles were speaking and acting under divine inspiration had been given the Jewish rulers, but they firmly resisted the message of truth. Christ had not come in the manner that they expected, and though at times they had been convinced that he was the Son of God, yet they stifled conviction and crucified him. In mercy, God gave them still further evidence, and now another opportunity was granted to them to turn to him. He sent the disciples to tell them that they had killed the Prince of Life, and in this terrible charge, he gave them another call to repentance. But feeling secure in their own righteousness, the Jewish teachers refused to admit that the men charging them with crucifying Christ were speaking by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Let's read Acts 4, 5-7. through 7. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and the elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? The Jewish courts in those days apparently sat in a circle and anyone being judged or arraigned stood in the middle. The setting was rather intimidating as their enemies were on both sides of them. Psalms 22.16 says, The assembly of the wicked has enclosed me. And Psalm 118.12 says, They compassed me about like bees. Isaiah 1.21 has pointed testimony for the church. How is the faithful city become an harlot? It was full of judgment and righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. But the disciples were confident in Christ. They held their heads up as they were ready with their testimony. Not that they had predetermined their answers, but the Holy Spirit rested upon them and they had confidence in God to give them the right answers that would not be refuted. By what power or by what name have ye done this? The question was really asking, by what authority do you do these things? This was the same question they asked of Christ. Who commissioned you to preach such a doctrine as this? Who empowered you to do such a miracle as this? You have no license from us, and since you are accountable to us, tell us where you got your permission. But they knew very well that they preached Jesus and the resurrection of the dead and the healing of the sick through Jesus. Yet they asked them to try to get anything out of them that looked criminal. Listen to the plea of Peter 
before this hostile tribunal in Acts 4, 8 through 10. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified and whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. Peter is essentially saying, if we be called to account as criminals for a good deed done to the impotent man, as anyone would say that it was, if we are put to the question by what means or by whom he is made whole, we have an answer ready. It is the same answer we gave to the people, and we will repeat it to you and stand by it. Be it known unto you, all who pretend to be ignorant of this matter, and not to you only, but to all the people of Israel, for they are all concerned to know the answer to the same question, that by the name of Jesus Christ, that precious, powerful, prevailing name, that name above every name, even by him who you in contempt call Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, both rulers and people, and whom God hath raised from the dead and advanced to the highest dignity and dominion, even by him doth this man stand before you all, a monument to the power of Jesus Christ. Peter and his colleagues realize that they are to be counted criminals because of the good deed which they did to the beggar. But they were not ashamed. It is not a new thing for a man to suffer for doing good. In fact, that is the Christian's lot. Those who live in Western countries do not understand this as they ought, because they are used to being able to say what they want, do what they want, go where they want, and be what they want. They have had freedom and they don't know what it's like to live without freedom. So they can't really fully understand what suffering for Christ's sake is like, and are largely unprepared for it. But it is becoming more and more apparent that we are losing the freedoms we have enjoyed up till now. We will soon see how fragile freedom is and will be thrust into the crucible for our faith in Christ, and especially the Sabbath. While it isn't apparent yet, they will soon see that Rome is behind it all and that the Jesuits have been in the middle of it. Let us make it clear who is behind this. It is a principle of Rome that they will do everything possible to remove liberty and freedom. They hate freedom because they cannot control the people and manipulate the nations unless it is removed. They are like the, their father, the enemy of all mankind, who hates freedom and liberty and uses them to destroy it. Listen to this from Great Controversy, page 
565. The pacific tone of Rome in the United States does not imply a change of heart. She is tolerant where she is helpless. Says Bishop O'Connor, religious liberty is merely endured until the opposite can be carried into effect without peril to the Catholic world. The Archbishop of St. Louis once said, Heresy and unbelief are crimes, and in Christian countries, as in Italy and Spain, for instance, where all the people are Catholics and where the Catholic religion is an essential part of the law of the land, they are punished as other crimes. Peter charges the murder of Christ upon his judges themselves. It is he whom you crucified. Peter is working for their conversion. He endeavors to convince them of sin, and he aims to bring them to, unto repentance by stirring their consciences. He has to tell them the truth. After all, they put Christ, the Lord of glory, to death. What a mistake they made. The very Messiah, the one whom they should have accepted in their hearts and elevated with their tongues, they crucified and murdered. Peter tells them that which they do not want to hear, that God raised Christ from the dead. So they had advanced the argument that the disciples came at night and stole his body to make people think that he had risen from the dead as they claimed. But this miracle is too obvious for them to deny. Peter takes advantage of this opportunity to point out that they are theologically and morally out of step with heaven. Do you think religious leaders can be out of step with heaven today? Of course they can, and many are. In fact, anyone who has a spirit of control will be led to persecute and stand against heaven. Canceling, demonizing, and marginalizing is designed to control the people and limit their influence. Peter also has in mind all the bystanders and observers. They will repeat his words to their neighbors. Be it known unto you all that are here present, and it shall be made known to all the people of Israel, wherever they are dispersed, in spite of all your endeavors to stifle and oppress the truth, everyone will know of the Lord Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And many will believe on him because of this divine revelation of grace and goodwill to men. Peter continues in verse 11. This is the stone which is set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unnerved and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And Peter just keeps at it. He kindly tells them that there is no salvation outside of Christ. That is also a very hard statement. 
The Jews viewed the temple or the institutional church and their race as the basis of salvation. But Peter told them that this was not true. Today we have a similar problem. Many people think that membership in the institutional church is the basis of salvation. And they will do everything they can to protect the institution and its leader's reputation. Even when it is clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are working at cross purposes with God. The court could not refute the testimony of these unlearned and ignorant men. They had spoken words that could not have been of themselves. The Holy Spirit had fulfilled Christ's promise in Luke twenty-one fifteen, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. These men they had to acknowledge, had been with Jesus and had partaken of his wisdom. The miracle of the healing of the layman could not be denied. He was standing right there in front of them with Peter and John. The Jewish tribunal was stuck and could not prosecute them further. Please notice that the disciples' response was not designed to clear themselves. It was intended to preach Jesus, which was the reason that they saw themselves set before the judges. After all, Jesus had told them that they would be brought before governors and kings to whom they would not otherwise have access, and this would give them an opportunity to preach the gospel to those in power. So they were negligent of their own preservation. The Holy Spirit would have to defend them. They would preach Jesus by his convicting and convincing power, be the consequences what it may. What an example for us today, when we are brought before the same types of people. Don't worry about what you will say, because you'll be given the words by the Holy Spirit. Concentrate on the purpose for which you are there, and see it as an opportunity to speak the truth to power. If you look for every justification you can to get yourself off the hook or to avoid some punishment, you won't fulfill the purpose of God and you will be defeated. It's also ironic that the man who denied his Lord three times, the cowardly Peter, who followed Jesus to the crucifixion at a distance, is now as bold as this. He has been converted, and the Holy Spirit controls him. He is not afraid to face persecution for Jesus' sake. People are placed in positions of power to rule with righteousness, whether it's in the church or the state. And if they are wicked and cause the people to error or to sin because of their own example or by their influence, they will have a far greater responsibility for this in the judgment. So, God has to bring them testimony so that they will be forewarned of his judgments for evil and wickedness. His servants are merely instruments in his hands. Let's read verses 15 through 17. 
But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. <clears throat> the three men were ordered out of the council in order to hide the purpose of the priests and conceal their perplexity. Notwithstanding the determined hostility and hatred of the priests for Christ and his disciples, they could not, they dared not, do more than threaten them, because they were afraid of the people that the people would rise up and protest, maybe violently, and remove them from their position. Wicked men have always taken counsel against the Lord and against his Christ, and his followers receive the brunt of their hostility and suffer for his sake. Very willingly they would have punished the apostles for their preaching. But they lacked the courage because the people knew that a great miracle had been done and would rally to their defense. The fact that it was done at the gate of the temple made the opinion and awe of the apostles universal. The priests and rulers couldn't punish them because they would have lost all credibility with the people and would have been abandoned as enemies to both God and man. They couldn't find a plausible excuse to punish them because the people knew too much. They should have restrained themselves from punishing them for fear of God who reads men's hearts, but they were only worried about offending the people. It is amazing how the councils of hell fight against the councils of heaven. God would have the knowledge of Christ spread all around the world, but the chief priest would have it spread no farther than it had already gone. Acts four eighteen through 22 And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, Judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them, because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above forty years old, on whom this miracle of healing was showed. They gave no reason why the doctrine of Christ should not be preached. They just demanded that it be suppressed. They cannot say that it is false or dangerous, but the preaching of Peter and John testified against their hypocrisy and wickedness and shocks their tyranny. They forbade them from preaching at all, especially in the name of Jesus. They were not to speak publicly or privately. That's censorship. And they were simply to hide their light under a bushel. There is no greater service done to the devil's kingdom 
than by silencing the faithful ministers who give the straight testimony. Think about what these men were saying. They were not only trying to stop the preaching of the gospel, but they were threatening to punish it as a heinous crime. Religious freedom was non-existent, but God knows how to prevent harm to his cause nevertheless. The day may come when you will be threatened in the same way from preaching or teaching the truths of the sanctuary message and the Sabbath or the second coming of Christ. Wicked men adopted the spirit of persecution and hatred against God's messengers, whom he sends to the world as sheep among wolves. Don't think that the end of time will not be as difficult as the beginning of the gospel. It may be worse. But God is up to it, and you can depend on him. He will defend his work. Though you will suffer for his sake, his cause will still go forward. Peter and John did not have to confer with one another to know each other's mind. After all, they were both actuated by the same spirit, and they gave an answer to the wily priests. With holy boldness and without fear, Peter and John told them, Whether it be right in the sight of God, to whom we are all accountable, to hearken unto you more than God, you judge. For we cannot forbear to speak to everybody the things which we have seen and heard, and ourselves witnesses, and are filled up with grace and power. And furthermore, we are charged to publish it by the one who is resurrected and ascended into heaven and is sitting on the right hand of God. These men told them that their priestly authority had no weight and their malignity had no power. In effect, they tell them that they are resolved to go on preaching and justify it by the command of God and by the convictions of their consciences. It is always the wisest course to obey God than to break a divine command in obedience to a human injunction. How could finite men create laws in conflict with God's infinite law or justify persecuting God's servants when he has commanded them to preach? Right now, nations have made laws that conflict with the laws of God on many fronts. But a day of serious reckoning is coming. If Peter and John weren't going to publish the truth, who would? These priests were not going to do it, although they should have. They further threatened them and let them go. They knew how to keep men in fear of excommunication. There were many who they had frightened into obedience to their unrighteous decrees, and they thought that they would have the same influence with these apostles but they seriously underestimated them and the God that they served, for the disciples had been with Jesus. There are many lessons in this story, not the least of which is that spiritual impotency can be healed just like this impotent man was healed of his impotency. The power of divine grace is sufficient to annul your evil habits and tendencies. And when you gain the victory, 
the joy is magnified and the testimony to the truth is more powerfully received. We have to be careful with perspective. The Sadducees had their perspective. The priests had their perspective. And today, many would say that they just understood things differently than the apostles. In this way, we satisfy ourselves that we do not judge. But is that correct? People have their perspective, but many times our perspective is wrong. Just because you have perspective doesn't mean that you understand things as you should. We have to do everything we can to understand God's perspective, not our own. God's perspective is often very different from ours, but that's the one that counts. Error is no less error because it's one's perspective, and you still have to oppose the error. We still have to bring the light and truth in the darkness and wickedness of this world. Today, probably the most controversial subjects are shrouded in perspective. For instance, there are 70 different gender identities, and people think that they can view themselves as they wish, and their imaginations will become true. They think they can believe something other than the truth, or what the Bible teaches, and that becomes their reality. Verses 23 to 31. And being let go, they went to their company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, why did the heathen rage, and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever... They, thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant thy, unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Listen to this from Acts of the Apostles, page 67. While Peter and John were prisoners, the other disciples, knowing the malignity of the Jews, had prayed unceasingly for the brethren, fearing that cruelty shown to Christ might be repeated. As soon as the apostles were released, they sought the rest of the disciples and reported to them the result of the examination. Great was the joy of the believers. But the disciples took a lesson from the experience. This is from the same book, page 
67 and 68. The disciples prayed that greater strength might be imparted to them in the work of the ministry, for they saw that they would meet the same determined opposition that Christ had encountered when upon the earth. While their united prayers were ascending in faith to heaven, the answer came. The place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were endowed anew with the Holy Spirit. Their hearts filled with courage, and they again went forth to proclaim the word of God in Jerusalem. With great power the apostles witnessed of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God marvelously Bless their efforts. And the lesson is applicable down to the end of time. Listen to this from Acts of the Apostles, page 68 and 69. This principle we in our day are firmly to maintain. The banner of truth and religious liberty held aloft by the founders of the gospel and by Christ's witnesses during the centuries that have passed since then, has in this last conflict been committed to our hands. The responsibility for this great gift rests upon those whom God has blessed with the knowledge of his word. We are to receive this word as supreme authority we are to recognize human government as an ordinance of divine appointment and teach obedience to it as a sacred duty within its legitimate sphere. But when its claims conflict with the claims of God, we must obey God rather than men. God's word must be recognized as above all human legislation. A thus saith the Lord is not to be set aside, for a thus saith the church, or a thus saith the state. The crown of Christ is to be lifted above the diadems of earthly potentates. Does the experience of Peter and John remind you of anything happening in our day? Well, it happens all the time. Anything that is not according to the official narrative is not only suspect, it is marginalized and persecuted within the church. Those who oppose the coercion of conscience toward the current medical advice, for example, and opposes the general conference statement about it because it doesn't allow for freedom of conscience and supports worldly public policy regardless of conscience, is shut down and not allowed to speak or have a voice. They are canceled, criticized, marginalized, and opposed. And even though it is only the perspective of church leaders, they are intractable. They will not bend. They double down and close ranks and will not discuss alternatives. And the reason is that they are so invested and depend on the money that is derived from the deranged and corrupt system that it is impossible for them not to support it, for they would go bankrupt. But they also don't have a good answer to those who ask about religious liberty. It is as if they have made a covenant with death, but the church is following the world, and quite literally following the money. Isaiah has some things to say about this, in chapter 28, verse 15. 
Because ye have said, We have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we in agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come for us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hid ourselves. Friends, the world today is full of selfishness, pride, and the love of money. This is a covenant of death and an agreement with hell. This leads to lies, abuse, and a censorship of anything and everything that disagrees with the deception narrative. They do not want to hear the truth, and this affects everything about our society. And God's church is going along with it, lagging behind like a dog following his master. Good people are afraid of the consequences of standing out and being different when their jobs or their means of making a livelihood are threatened they will self-censor and thus they will become a party to the deception narrative even if they don't believe it God is a God of truth who allows the enemy to play out his agenda so that in the end all can see the end result of doubting God and his word, and can choose to voluntarily obey him or choose not to. As time goes on, Satan will be allowed to ratchet up greater and greater lies and deceptions until he is able to make all truth seem as if it is all lies, and all lies as if they are all truth. He will then personate Christ at an opportune moment to seal those for damnation who choose to believe him. The church mirrors the world. A dominant narrative that tolerates no disagreement has become a feature of the politics of the church as it has in the world. And the few courageous individuals who have stood in opposition to the dominant narrative have been censored, removed from important posts, and generally isolated. Cancel culture has been a reality in the church long before it had that name. I should know. I and my colleagues experienced it. Conservatives and liberals in the church are strongly opposed to each other over things like women's ordination, standards, and the last generation theology. Conservatives are just as ready to cancel opponents as are liberals, and will adopt a very similar attitude toward those who do not accept the conservative dominant narrative. Censorship of dissidents has always been a feature of totalitarian regimes. From the days of Jezebel in Samaria to the days of Christ, from the Middle Ages to the Puritan era, from the American colonies to the modern-day opposition to certain medical interventions, Censorship is the emblem of those in power. When they don't have a good answer to strong opposition, they resort to censorship. It has only been the Constitution of the United States and similar constitutions in Western countries that has held in check and prevented social censorship until recently. But now those constitutions are being ignored, and they are being dismantled. 
but there have always been those who would desire to censor any opinions that are uncomfortable for public figures. And the church has much of this itself. But there is also a conspiracy of silence among those conservatives who are grieved with the apostasy. They see the disobedience to God's will, but they will not speak up. Even conservatives in high-ranking positions at the very top of the hierarchy are involved in the silence. The times call for a more pointed testimony than that given by John the Baptist. Listen to this statement from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 321. In this fearful time, just before Christ is to come the second time, God's faithful preachers will have to bear a still more pointed testimony than was borne by John the Baptist. A responsible and important work is before them, and those who speak smooth things God will not acknowledge as his shepherds. A fearful woe is upon them. The hierarchy exists to perpetuate itself, and therefore it will defend itself. For example, recent attempts to ask or plead for the hierarchy to look at its position on certain medical jabs have been met with censorship, removal of dissenters from the committees, and shutting down discussions at important church meetings. These are classic totalitarian tactics. Unable to defend their positions adequately, the leaders at every level close ranks in order to protect the institutional system and the individuals charged with preserving it. They use coercive muzzling strategies like removal of memberships and associations, de-licensing, gaslighting, defunding, retracting, marginalizing, and vilifying of those who were only moments before credible and respected individuals who now refuse to toe the official narrative. In essence, it is a bullying form of censorship called cancel culture, which tries to disappear not only the heretical language or ideas, but also the heretic who uttered them. And now that the church has embedded liberals in its very fabric, there is a baked-in disdain for the truths that made it what it once was. The COVID pandemic was a lesson that should be heeded by liberals and conservatives alike. It was an opportunity to become familiar with the tactics that will ultimately be employed by society and the government to restrict the movements and speech of God's faithful people. But it is alarming to see the church using them too. The world has a long history of invoking contagious disease to justify segregation laws against despised minorities. The most notorious of these in the 20th century were the Nazis who segregated and quarantined Jews because they were not genetically strong as other Germans. Eventually, they gassed them to death. Are we about to experience similar things in the 21st century? Will the church cooperate 
with totalitarianism? They did during World War II to save the institutional church from suppression by the Nazis. They apologized publicly for the cancellation of the memberships of the Jews who were members 60 years later when all the perpetrators were dead. The lateness of the apology undermines the perception of seriousness. A failure to recognize and acknowledge the truth of a matter does not change the truth, but it steals the perceptions against the truth, and it allies the individual to the falsehood and deception more strongly. When once you have committed a wrong act, it is easier to commit another wrong act. When the institution or church itself is at stake, leaders and administrators seem to be immune to logic and reason. They don't realize that they are persecuting the very ones that are speaking the truth to power. The truth is just as unwelcome today by those in ecclesiastical power as it was in the days of the apostles. One final note. It's from Acts of the Apostles, page 69. We are not required to defy authorities. Our words, whether spoken or written, should be carefully considered, lest we place ourselves on record as uttering that which would make us appear antagonistic to law and order. We are not to say or do anything that would unnecessarily close up our way. We are to go forward in Christ's name, advocating the truths committed to us. If we are forbidden by men to do this work, then we may say, as did the apostles, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The time is coming when we will have to have a prayer life that is similar to that of the apostles, for we will face the same issues that they faced. It is an amazing time that is before us. We will see things that we have never seen before, and we will experience persecutions like we have never experienced before. Now, they are just inconveniences compared to what is coming. So please get your life ready for the crisis ahead. Unite with Jesus and let no man get in the way of your relationship to him. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are on the verge of experiencing persecution like the disciples did when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the early rain. We pray that we will have a close walk with Jesus and a connection that will make it possible for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on us. At the same time, we pray for the strength to stand against the enemy. Thank you for your promises. Please stand with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
We hope you have been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is called Day by Day, played by Henry Higgins. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Day by Day. If you would like a copy of the CD, just send $16 postpaid and we will gladly send you one. International listeners should send $20 USD. Be sure and mention the day-by-day CD. The following is our prophetic intelligence briefing, a feature that brings you the current events in light of prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis and the coming of the Lord. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, Witch Talk booms to 30 billion views on TikTok. Ex-Witch warns preschool witchcraft targeting kids. TikTok, the popular social media platform that is known for quick videos, one-minute dance challenges, and its viral trends, is now being recognized as a hub for witches and warlocks. Videos with the hashtag Witch Talk have amassed more than 30 billion views and have made it easier for would-be witches or those interested in the occult to learn more about it, according to the BBC. TikTok's witch hashtag has received nearly 20 billion views, witch TikTok has nearly 2 billion views, and baby witch, a hashtag for those new to the dark craft, has more than 600 million views. One practicing witch who has amassed a large following told the BBC she performs spells and magic on the platform because it makes her feel empowered and in control. Quote, TikTok has changed the way we practice witchcraft. It's so acceptable now to learn from social media, she added. But Jenny Weaver, a former witch turned born-again believer and minister, uses the platform to warn against the dark practice. Quote, I got into it innocently, but I left almost terrified, she warns her followers in one video. I remember when I started practicing witchcraft, I was very curious about it, Weaver explained. I saw it as a means to have power in a powerless world. I remember getting books about spells and going into the New Age store and purchasing bundles of sage, crystals, and all of those things you would do to cast spells. But I tell you, it took a turn for the worse. She added, I had such a fear that gripped my life. It crippled me. The next thing that I knew, I was seeing things, hearing things, and I was being tortured by demonic spirits that had come in through the use of witchcraft. It was a very scary time. I didn't even want to close my eyes to wash my face. I was that terrified. If you think that it is innocent, I am telling you, it will take you down a road you do not want to go down. I had to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive me. The app, which is geared towards tweens and teens, makes them easy targets of predators, can affect their mental health, and can open them up to consume inappropriate content. And while parents and lawmakers push for more safety protections, there is a growing community that wants to introduce children to witches. 
In a video posted to YouTube Monday, Minister Joshua Giles said it is time for the church to address the issue. Quote, If you are not aware, witchcraft and sorcery is a multi-million dollar, maybe even more, industry because there is so much made off of that, he said in a video titled Breaking Curses, Spells and Witchcraft. What is even more of a concern is that we at times have allowed witchcraft to mix and mingle into the church and into our Christian faith. Quote, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, unto wizards that peep, and that mutter, Should not a people seek unto their God, for the living to the dead? Isaiah 8.19 Next, Magnitude 5.1 Earthquake gives San Francisco Bay Area a big shake. A magnitude 5.1 earthquake was felt widely across California's greater San Francisco Bay Area on Tuesday, rattling homes and shaking windows. The quake hit at 11.42 a.m. with a depth of 4 miles, just south of Mount Hamilton in the hills about 12 miles east of downtown San Jose. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, a magnitude 2.9 aftershock struck shortly after at 11.47 a.m. in the same area, followed by a magnitude 3.6 aftershock at 3.08 p.m. Quote, There's a 1 in 100 chance of an aftershock greater than magnitude 5 in the next day. Anne-Marie Belte, a research geophysicist with the USGS, said in a video about the quake on Twitter, there could be 10 to 15 aftershocks of magnitude 3 or greater in the next week. Aftershocks of this magnitude and duration are totally normal for an event of this type. Tuesday Shaker was the biggest earthquake the Bay Area has seen since the Napa quake in 2014, said Richard Allen, director of UC Berkeley's Seismology Lab. The magnitude 6 earthquake struck the North Bay, damaging buildings in downtown Napa and Vallejo and injuring more than 100 people. Allen said that with a magnitude 5, no damage is expected in the Bay Area, while with a 6, damage is typically localized, and with a 7 magnitude quake, damage is widespread across the region. There were no damage reports on Tuesday as of 3.30 p.m. The San Jose Fire Department said at 12.13 p.m. that it had not received any emergency calls related to the Tembler. More than 18,000 people reported on the USGS website that they felt the quake, with reports coming from as far north as Fairfield, as far east as Stockton, and as far south as King City, the USGS said. Quote, Yup, we felt that earthquake here at the office in Monterey, the National Weather Services office in Monterey shared on Twitter. Bart said it was holding trains for five minutes and would be doing inspections. Quote, Expect major delays system-wide while we follow our safety procedures, Bart said. The USGS said the tremor struck on the Calaveras Fault. The last time the fault, which runs through the hills east of San Jose, saw a significant quake was in 2007 when a magnitude 5.5 hit near Alum Rock on Halloween. Quote, When we think about hazardous faults in the Bay Area, there are three primary faults, San Andreas, Hayward Rogers Creek, and Calaveras, Allen said. Calaveras is one of the big three. 
The USGS sent out a shake alert and many people reported receiving a notice on their phones warning them that a quake was coming just a few seconds before the tremor hit. Quote, Clearly a lot of people got the alert, Allen said. That was a great demonstration of the early warning system. Quote, God went through the proud land of Egypt as he will go through the earth in the last days. With fire and tempest, earthquake and death, the great I Am redeemed his people. Christ Object Lessons, page 286. Next, New South Wales plots facial recognition tech for pubs and clubs. The Australian Greens, the third largest political party by vote, has criticized plans to install facial recognition technology in all pubs and clubs in the state of New South Wales. The technology is aimed at keeping people with self-imposed gambling bans from gambling. The club's NSW and the Australian Hotels Association NSW said a state-of-the-art facial recognition system will be installed in all hotels and clubs in NSW next year. The system will scan the faces of everyone entering the gaming area and check them against a list of people who have registered in the self-exclusion system. Quote, Close to 100 clubs are already using this technology, and the feedback is that it works, said club's NSW CEO Josh Landis. He added that they have implemented strict privacy protection measures. Australian Hotels Association NSW CEO John Whelan said that the technology had successfully been trialed in six hotels. Quote, Technology now allows us to accurately identify self-excluded problem gamblers and then stop them from gambling, he added. Green's MP Kate Farman criticized the move, calling it, quote, a sop to the powerful gambling industry. In her opinion, there are better solutions like cashless gambling cards. Pokey's operators are so scared of a mandatory gambling card that they've turned to invasive and inconsistent facial recognition technology instead, she said. The NSW government has lost its mind if it thinks people want pubs and clubs to have self-managed facial recognition tech. This is as terrifying as it is absurd. Will this technology eventually spread to banned shoppers? Think no buy, no sell law. Quote, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Revelation thirteen seventeen. Next, are big banks chasing away religious organizations? Testifying before the Senate last month, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon spoke eloquently of what a wonderful country we live in and about the freedoms we enjoy. Quote, we live in the greatest country in the world, predicated on foundational beliefs in freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, the sanctity of the individual, and the promise of equality and opportunity for all. The CEO told the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. He even went so far as to say, these core values are the fabric that binds us as Americans where the best of what we are shines through, especially in times of adversity. While I was glad to hear Diamond speak proudly of America and our freedoms, I am concerned that his bank 
fails to live up to such lofty ideals. He referred to religious freedom as a foundational belief, but his bank recently decided to close the account of the National Committee for Religious Freedom, a nonpartisan, faith-based nonprofit organization dedicated to defending the right of everyone in America to live one's faith freely. The NCRF is a diverse organization representing people from every faith and walk of life. Our bipartisan National Advisory Board includes members who are Christian, Hindu, Jewish, Latter-day Saints, and Muslim. After organizing the NCRF as a nonprofit group, our executive director and I opened a bank account at the J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. We chose Chase because of its national footprint and the multi-generational banking relationship our team had with the bank. Our experience was initially very positive. However, three weeks after opening our nonprofit business checking account, we received a letter notifying us that Chase had decided to end their relationship with the National Committee for Religious Freedom and that our account would be closed. The bank actually closed our account before we received the letter. We were surprised at being canceled by Chase. When our executive director called to see if this was an error, he was informed that a note in the file read that Chase employees were not permitted to provide any further clarifying information to the customer. Why the cancellation? Why the secrecy and lack of transparency? Why was Chase hiding its reasons and intentions for closing the account of a client that seeks to serve the public good and defend religious freedom for every person in America? After all, in the words of the bank's CEO, religious freedom is a core value that forms part of the fabric that binds us together as a country. So why cancel an organization that exists to protect the most foundational of core American values? Quote, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Revelation 13, 16, and 17. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.